Well, hello, everyone. My name is J.B. Hickson with NBW Ministries, proclaiming the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message from my studio beneath the sky, nestled in the tall timbers of Colorado. Thank you for joining us. It is Saturday. That's right, Saturday, a rare Saturday podcast, July 22nd, 2023. And as promised, uh, we're going to begin a limited series today that we will post on the weekends uh, on preparedness, uh, dealing with particular topics that are uh, possible in the coming uh, weeks and months ahead. And uh, we want to give you the resources and tools you'll need to understand them and hopefully uh, prepare for them. So today, we've got our good friend Randy back on to talk about how to prepare for an EMP or cyber attack. And we want to get right to it, but let me just quickly mention as we close out the week, we had a fantastic week here at NBW Ministries. I want to say a special thanks to all of our guests and all of you, the listeners who have recommended guests and sent encouraging emails and uh, questions. But we kicked it off Monday, July 17th, uh, with um, uh, the first episode of Dr. Hickson Answers Your Questions. And we will air another one of those this coming Monday, the 24th. That'll be episode number two. Then Tuesday this past week, of course, was Prophecy Night. I encourage you to go back and listen to that or watch the video. Remember, those are videoed, so you can watch the video and see the slides. Wednesday was our weekly world events update with Randy. Thursday, we had Nathan Jones from Lamb and Lion Ministries on to talk about the mighty angels of Revelation. And yesterday, uh, we closed out the work week with Dr. Thomas Ice from the Pre-Trib Research Center uh, talking about debunking lies about the rapture. But today, a special weekend installment, how to prepare for an EMP or cyber attack. Randy, thanks so much uh, for being back with us today. And I want to begin with just sort of explaining for our listeners, what is an EMP? I mean, sort of an EMP explanation for dummies, because that's the way I feel about EMPs. What are they? Why are they dangerous? And then we'll get into ways to prepare for them. Welcome to the program, Randy. Thank you, sir. An EMP is an electromagnetic pulse. It is a burst of electricity, uh, usually in the atmosphere, that will take out electronic instruments, such as your car, um, radios, appliances, possibly the entire grid, etc. Now, before we go on, I want to thank Alan and Mike for helping me with this, because we have done a lot of research on this. I'm going to give you stuff that are basics, and you may think you don't need to know now. But I assure you, as we go through this, you're going to want to know what the difference is. An EMP can be generated by a foreign adversary. It can be generated by a solar storm. It can be generated by an attack on the grid. Hurricanes can take down part of the grid. Um, so can volcanoes. So can tornadoes. Uh, some of these will be localized. Some of these would be on a national level. Now, I want you to understand the seriousness here because Russia and China are getting to be experts at these EMPs. And as far as cyber warfare go, this is not a matter of if this will happen. This is a matter of when. And there are people that are predicting that this stuff will happen before you're in. So I want you to understand, we're going to try to give you the tools to survive, prepare for it. But I also want you to know what's behind it because it's going to dictate the manner in which you need to respond to this. All right. First off, the electromagnetic pulse can be caused by a foreign adversary as far as a bomb goes. This bomb could be delivered by aircraft, by a missile, or by a balloon. Now, you go, okay, so what's the big deal? All right. China has thousands of hot air balloons, of which we've already seen a couple of them come across the United States. These have a maximum height, 90,000 to 120,000 feet, if an EMP were placed in or on a balloon. It would take out an area with a radius of 300 to 400 miles. If this weapon was delivered by aircraft, it would take out an area possibly a thousand miles for a radius on each side. If these are exploded between 200 and 300 miles above the Earth's surface, 
two of them would close down the United States permanently. And I say permanently because the electromagnetic pulse would affect the grid. It would affect all electronics that were on during that time period. It would affect your cars. Now, if it affects the grid, remember this. We have thousands of transformers and electrical stations in the United States. The big ones that are very, very important are manufactured in China. China will not be sending us replacements. Mm -hmm. So if the grid is taken out in that manner, uh, the United States would be without electricity uh, probably for years. There is no help coming because the United States government has absolutely no plan to respond to an EMP cybersecurity or a nuclear weapon discharge. You're on your own. Now, let me let me ask, you mentioned the scenario where two to 300 miles up. I mean, that's got to be out there in outer space, right? I mean, I, I apologize for my ignorance on not having the, the those numbers at my fingertips, uh, but uh, I have talked about, you know, the celestial heavens and things before, but if memory serves, that that's pretty high up. And you're saying that one that's, uh, so that would have to be an ICBM or something, or what would that what would that, that be? That would be ICBM launched. Yes, and it's a great question because all of the well, not all, but most Earthbound or Earth satellites are in low Earth orbit. Uh, Starlink, Mr. Musk's are all low Earth orbit. Your TV stations, your radio stations, a lot of the military satellites, two hundred to three hundred miles high, and EMP will take those out as well as whatever's on the ground. You have to also understand that an EMP will take the GPS satellites out of orbit and destroy them. So when you, if you were able to start your car, you won't have GPS. You will not know where you're at unless you're at home. So you need to have a map or an atlas to be able to figure out where you're going, what you're going to be doing. Now, I'm going to go over what they would use at high altitude, and I'm going to explain the differences because there's a big difference between them. All right. More than likely, they are going to use an atomic bomb, a hydrogen bomb, a neutron bomb, a salted bomb, or a fusion bomb. Now, the hydrogen, atom, neutron, and salted bombs can also be used in a direct attack against the United States. If some of these were to be an airburst exploding high in the atmosphere, they would also have other ones exploding at a lower altitude, which basically means game over. Now, the hydrogen bomb is made from an atom bomb, but it uses fusion instead of fission. The reason you like to know what they're using, because a hydrogen bomb is about the same size, but it is 1,000 times more powerful than an atomic bomb. A neutron bomb uses massive radiation, but you won't have a lot of fallout. The salted bomb is the one I worry about the most. These are either the atomic or hydrogen bombs, basically coated in gold or cobalt. These will have massive radiation. These will have massive fallout and the nuclear explosion will be unbelievable. So, but they go out horizontally and downward. They do not go in a circular motion. The actual fusion bomb is designed to blow up in a spherical manner. That way it takes out all of the satellites. It takes out the ground base. Now, the United States does not have any type of weapon like that. The United States in different wars has used what's called a graphite bomb. The graphite bomb is basically exploded, you know, maybe a few miles above the Earth's surface, and it shoots out little graphite tentacles, basically, that fall onto the transformers and cause them to short out. The thing about this is the transformers can be shut off and restarted. In the case of a nuclear weapon, you will not be restarting anything. So the damage will be permanent. Yeah, so, I, I did some checking on those satellites and, uh, you know, I was quite ignorant of, of the, the typical distance. You mentioned two to three hundred miles above the Earth's surface. The high orbit satellites are twenty two thousand miles above 
the Earth's orbit, and that's the like the TV satellites broadcasting, you know, TV signals. There are some mid-Earth orbit satellites, like for GPS. That's what GPS uses. Those are twelve thousand seven hundred miles above the Earth's surface. So, two to three hundred miles is actually quite close, isn't it? Yes, it is low Earth orbit. I mean, that's why they put the uh, Starlink, and I believe the new. Um, cubes that NASA is using, I believe they're in low Earth orbit also. Hmm. And the thing is, you know, Spectrum and Xfinity, all of those companies use satellites in their operation. Those are all going to be affected. So what would happen, you wake up in the morning or during the day, all of a sudden, no electricity, no phone, no computer, no internet, no nothing. Now, I want to, I want you to, everybody to do an experiment. I want you some morning to get up and practice and just act like there is no electricity. Don't turn any lights on. Don't listen to your radio. Just get up and then go to the water faucet and understand in an AMP, there is no water because the pumping stations are knocked out. Go to the bathroom. You cannot flush the toilet. You cannot take a shower. You cannot make your morning coffee. You cannot do anything. All you'll get is basically a blank screen when you turn things on. You will have no information. You will be back where the country was in the 17 and early 1800s. Hmm. We're, we're not going to have any appliances. We're not going to be able to do what we used to do. If it's cold, you will have no heat. If it's hot, you will have no AC. Now, I used to be of the opinion if an EMP occurred, I would prefer it happened in the summer. But when you look at the summer we're having now, especially in the southern states, temperatures are over 110 degrees every day. There would be as many people perish in the summer as it would in the winter. Now, there are a lot of differing opinions. Some say that 90% of the Americans would be done in six months. I would hazard to say that 90% of the Americans would be dead in 60 days. No food, no water, no communication. And let's face it, 99% of the American people do not have a stockpile of food mm -hmm. or water. They're going to be going to their neighbors and say, we want what you have. Are you going to be able to give it to them? Who knows? I mean, it's nice to be helpful. But then how many times do they come back with more and more friends? So the problem is, this is going to be multidimensional, what I'm going to go over. And I want you to understand the hazards you're going to be facing. Now, we talked about the books that I think are necessary. JB, you have one. What is it called? Yeah, so this is one. Uh, we have a whole slew of books, and we list these on uh, our preparedness guide. And remember, the Not By Works Preparedness Guide is available for free on our website. You just go to the main homepage, notbyworks.org, click on resources, and you'll see it there. You click it and it downloads the PDF. So if you're not familiar with downloading PDFs, you know, get someone in your family uh, to help you do that. But it's just one click and it'll save it to your computer or phone. But the one that uh, uh, recently came across, someone recommended it, and then I found very helpful. It was a national bestseller. It's the third edition of the, quote, Handbook to Practical Disaster Preparedness for the Family, uh, Arthur T. Bradley, Ph.D., and it covers 14 basic needs, food, water, shelter, light, electrical power, heating, cooling, air, sleep, hygiene, sanitation, medical first aid, communication, financial, and transportation and protection. Um, I want to go back to something you said about the heat versus the cold. I'm of the same opinion. You can always gather more blankets uh, to bundle up in. Uh, you can find shelter to, to do a bit of a windbreak. Most modern houses are fairly well insulated. Um, but heat is something that just becomes unbearable. And, and I believe very strongly, and I have a chapter on this in Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 1, that they are playing with the atmosphere uh and and this is on you know 
undeniable actually the geoengineering that's going on uh, biden even just came out and admitted it here recently that they're trying to use solar radiation management uh to allegedly stop global warming or climate change but really it's i believe it's more nefarious than that and i think it's preparing the way paving the way for some type of emp that's why we're seeing record heat this summer i mean literally shattering records that have been on the books since they started keeping records and so this is not global warming this is mankind tinkering uh with the global ecosystem intentionally to further their depopulation agenda and so i think people are going to need uh you know to to think through these uh these types of things uh now before we get more into the suggestions and solutions and preparedness i want to ask a few more questions about the nature of emps in general um You've laid out one scenario. Uh, am I correct that there are a whole multitude of scenarios that could be more uh, targeted, more regional, more limited in scope for strategic reasons? In other words, in my mind, it's not an all or nothing game. It's not as though when they get ready to use an EMP, the entire the lights are going to go out throughout America. I mean, that, that certainly could happen, and maybe that's the most logical scenario. But it seems to me from what I've read, they could target certain regional areas that uh, serve their purpose of decapitating our military defenses. Is that right? Sure, they could. The only thing is, if an EMP is delivered by balloon aircraft or any type of a missile, that is a declaration of war, which would be met with a response from the United States. So that's a war scenario. We'll cover that more later on. I don't know that that's the one I worry about. The one I worry about the most are the attacks on the grid. The attacks on the grid by uh, different adversaries. We have ultra-right, ultra-left groups. We have the Chinese and Russians that have come in to the tune of about 100,000 in the United States. We don't know where they're at. We also have the uh, terror groups that have been in the United States for years. Now, how would they attack the grid? Well, they can do it in several ways. The easiest way is there are probably 30 major transformer areas, nine of which would be taken out would make the entire system cascade, destroying the entire system. Now, if a terrorist wanted to take out a certain region or take out a military base or something like that, they could localize it if they wish to. In which case, they could use a uh, rifle. They could use a vehicle. They could get in and just damage the transformers themselves. I mean... The attacks on the electrical grid are up 67% in the last two years. Some of the players we know, some of them we don't know. The problem is, if they attack the grid, they're going to know pretty much immediately where the attack took place. But simultaneous areas, who would respond because of the damage? The military probably will not be responding. It will probably be the Department of Energy or maybe uh, local law enforcement or whatever. The problem is, when you start taking down big cities, you create chaos. You create a situation where the first day or two, everybody might work together, be buddy-buddy, hey, let's get through this. The more days that this takes place, the more serious it gets. The contention is the United States is basically nine meals away from full-scale riots. Yeah. And that's probably very true. Now, if this takes out stores, takes out gasoline stations and everything else, takes out hospitals, okay, it begins to spread. It's going to get worse. And the things you're going to have to worry about is, okay, if your car is full of gas, if you can start your car, how far can you get? What kind of a radius can you drive around and what... What reasons would you want to drive? Do you have a bicycle or something to back that up? If you need a hospital, anybody that has a generator is ahead of the game initially. All generators run out of fuel. So if you've got a generator with a thousand gallon LP tank, it's backed up by natural gas or electricity, diesel or whatever, you're ahead of the game. 
because yours is going to last longer. But how are you going to refill it? Now, my generator goes, works on gasoline. When I'm out of gasoline, I'm done. Now, there are solar generators and solar inverters. We looked into this about a year ago. And the problem is they take too long to recharge and they do not put out the necessary voltage to run much. They're expensive. If you're going to have a solar array out in your yard, that's fine. But do you know how to set it up? Do you know how to work it? Do you have your house hooked up to it? Now, I believe you have a pretty good generator system, right? Yeah, so generators are not a panacea. Obviously, they they provide a stopgap measure, and depending on the severity of the crisis, they can be really, you know, a, a beautiful solution. Uh, we have a whole house generator. We have extra propane. We installed. Uh, we have a thousand gallons of propane. So you know, it in a crisis, we would obviously immediately ration the propane and only use power for the absolute essentials. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, a few of those earlier. For me personally, I can live without a shower. I'm not sure I can live without coffee. That that when you start talking about no coffee, I'm like, wow, this is a terrible crisis. What in the world is going on? Come, Lord Jesus! But uh, no, seriously, I mean, uh, in a crisis, you wouldn't just kick the generator. In our case, it kicks on automatically when there's a power outage, you know, and you wouldn't just go on like life is normal because you don't know how long the power is going to be out. So you immediately shut down everything. You shut down the furnace, you shut down the AC, you don't use, you know, any power unless you absolutely have to. And that could last, you know, you could use a thousand gallons would, would last you, you know, several months under that scenario. But like you said, it's not a a long-term perfect solution because in an end of the world as we know it scenario, you're not going to have your normal supply chains. So the propane uh, delivery uh, trucks, uh, we use a local company, uh, they're not going to be able to to deliver propane, especially if their trucks won't run. Uh, so you have to think in terms of, as we talk about in our preparedness guide, hunkering down. What if you if you couldn't leave and no one could get to you? You've got to survive with what you have on hand. I think a generator can be a piece of the puzzle, but people should not think, oh, I've installed a generator. I'm great. I'm good. You know, I, I think that's that's naive. Yeah, I would agree. Now, <clears throat> obviously, I have never witnessed an EMP, but I have worked many hurricanes in my life. And let me give you a scenario. When I went down to Hurricane Katrina, I got there the day after the storm left the area. I went into Walmart. The shelves were bare. There was nothing left except some kids' clothing and kids' toys. All right, I tried to find a place to eat. There was nothing. I went to a gasoline station. They still had power. They were rationing gasoline, 10 gallons per vehicle, which sounds pretty reasonable to me. I mean, come back if you need it. But then we get the sociopath, psychopaths, and I don't care type people. A gentleman drove his pickup up with one of the three, 200, 300 gallon tanks on the back of the bed of his pickup. Two guys got out with AR rifles. They sat in the bed while he filled his entire tank. Now, he didn't care that he was limited to 10 gallons. So you're always going to have to worry about the marauders, the criminals. The people that are going to take advantage, they're going to take what you have. So through this entire scenario, no matter what the cause is, remember what some of the problems are going to be. Yeah, I, I went down uh, after the hurricane there in Katrina as well. I preached at a church. This was some time afterwards, but the pastor was telling me, giving me a tour of the damage and telling me some horror stories about the absolute anarchy that existed in that situation. And so I think what you're saying, it needs to be underscored here. And that is that the EMP is bad enough, but it's the collateral effects of that and the, the marauding mobs and the people that are hungry. I mean, we've seen examples of this already in the not too distant past here in America of, you know, so-called dumpster diving when, when people, you know, don't have, uh, you know, anything. And and I think it's Gerald Salente, the financial analyst, who's famously said, uh, when people lose everything, they lose it. They go berserk and they will do anything uh, to feed their family and to feed themselves. And so uh, that's what you have to be 
prepared for. And in one of our future episodes of how to prepare, we'll talk about how to prepare for civil unrest. We're going to deal with you know, natural disasters. We're going to deal with terrorist attacks, economic collapse, many of the things that you've talked about, martial law. Uh, but EMPs, I think, are one of the ones we get the most questions about. You know, there was that book that came out back in 2009, I think it was, uh, called One Second After. Yeah, 2009, William R. Forshen. Uh, he the forward was written by Newt Gingrich, uh, who was uh, in Congress at the time. Um, anyway, it really exposed a lot of people to the scenarios. Uh, it was a fiction, but it was you know sort of a reality fiction, and it exposed a lot of people to the reality of the concept of an electromagnetic pulse weapon. And not only that, but you know, and I don't know if you've mentioned this already. If not, maybe this would be a good time to talk about it. EMPs can, you know, can be uh, attacks can, can be instigated by the enemy attacks, but what you know, solar flares could have the same effect, right? Just organically. Yes, solar flares are what I was going to bring up next. Now, understand that the Earth's atmosphere prevents a lot of problems, but the experts say we are overdue by 50 years for a major solar flare event that could take down the grid. Now, you, if you follow solar flares, I've got one guy that helps with the podcast, and he constantly checks solar flares. There's some big ones going on right now, but they're not a threat to the Earth because of where they leave the sun. They're not directed towards us. But you have earthquakes. You have volcanoes. You have hurricanes. You have insurrections. I mean, when you stop and think what could affect the power grid, there are many, many, many choices. The problem is... They knew this was a problem in 2004, and they are no further ahead today than they were then. They have never hardened the infrastructure. They have never taken any of the precautions that were necessary. And so we are as vulnerable today as we were then. Yeah, and that right there just shows you that there's a Luciferian conspiracy behind it all, is that the same thing with the borders. They, they could easily secure our borders if they wanted to, but these globalists want us to have open borders so they can accomplish their means, because in their mind, the ultimate goal is a one-world system with no borders. Now, ultimately, in God's word, we're going to see a one-world system ultimately ruled by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords himself, but right now, that's not God's divine design. Right now, we're still living in the age of national sovereignty. But so many of the problems that we face could easily be resolved if we wanted to. But the powers that be, the ones that are really pulling the strings, don't want to protect our infrastructure from an EMP, right? That's correct. That is, I, I can't think of a worst-case scenario than an EMP. If you have a nuclear war, a lot of the population is going to be injured or dead, and they're going to stay in their house. With an EMP, they're going to notice they don't have electricity, but they're all going to be outside. They're all going to be trying to get somewhere. They're all going to be fighting for food at the stores, fighting for gas at the gas stations. It is going to be a 300 million man riot. <laughs> it is going to be cluster you cannot believe. Yeah. So when you're thinking ahead and we give you suggestions, do them now. Don't wait for CNN or Fox to announce we have the problem because everybody's going to be vying for the same resources and materials that you are. Yeah. Okay. So we've We've, I think, sufficiently explained the impact of an EMP and particularly the collateral damage, the chaos that would ensue. Uh, what are some things that you would recommend that people do? And again, we've got our preparedness guide, which is just 12 pages. It's not, uh, it doesn't get into the granular details about each individual scenario, but it gives you some, you know, big picture categories to think about and items and supplies to have. But what would be your top a few recommendations for protecting against an EMP. All right. To protect against an EMP, there's several different choices. Some good, some not good, so good. Um, people talk about Faraday cages. You can find how to make one of those on the internet. You can buy them. That's great if you have time to do it, money to do it, time to construct it. Uh, very effective because it basically deflects the um, electricity to the ground and should never cause you a problem. Now, 
People also uh, suggest using an aluminum trash can that's lined with rubber. Now, that's great for small areas and small items. But let's face it, you can't put a refrigerator in something like that. Okay. Mm -hmm. There is... And there are quite a few places that have what they call EMP bags. These are basically bags set up that you could put your electronics in, seal them, and they're supposed to survive an electronic EMP attack. Now, these are tested to the best of their ability, but nothing has ever been through an EMP attack. Remember that the Russians on their EMPs used to have a capability of administering 50,000 volts per weapon in an attack. That is now over 800,000 volts. There are very few things going to be able to survive something like that. So you have your EMP bags. They may be efficient. They may not. Um, for vehicles, they have what is called an EMP shield. Now, I bought one of these, and I had it installed on my vehicle. And as I'm looking at that, I'm going, how can that possibly prevent EMP damage? I don't know, you know, it's been tested uh, suppose, as well as they can. Supposedly, it will maintain the circuits in your car. Now, you may not have anything on your dash as far as miles per hour, anything like that, but your car would supposedly run. <clears throat> Vehicles, I believe, what, before 72 or 62 or something like that are uh, not subject to an EMP blast because of the circuitry involved. Um, I don't have anything that old. I don't think I want to go and try and buy anything that old, to be honest with you. Now, if you're limited on funds or time, you can alternate sheets of aluminum foil and paper, three sheets of each, and just alternate them, wrap whatever you have in those, and that should provide a shield for that object. And doesn't it doesn't it make a difference in terms of what type of EMP scenario we're talking about? Because it seems to me, if it's the you know the massive type that takes down the whole grid, I mean you're not going to be able to use your electronic devices anyway, are you? That's very possible. Now, the places where I would say you might be able to use it would be on your radios. Yeah, you might be able to get an FM an AM station if you have ham, GMRS, FRS radios you wouldn't be able to use a repeater to increase your broadcast range, but you could use those items. Basically, it's called simplex, and that's basically radio to radio. So yeah, if you're so, within a certain distance, you would be able to use that like you did a CB. Yeah, so like if you're out on property or you live you know, on acreage where you're kind of hunkering down, it could be handy to use obviously your AM radios. It could be handy to use your your walkie-talkies, talking with people that are you know out looking for firewood or hunting a deer, that kind of thing. But I think the the thing that that I keep reminding people of is that it when you're thinking about preparedness for an EMP, you need to think you know in terms of general preparedness because life as we know it is going to change in an instant and yes. so you need to be thinking about the things that we list on our preparedness guide such as uh, you know protection shelter food water um remember all of this is thoroughly biblical and we've talked about this at length my series what lies or what in the world is going on which is an eight video series one of those eight videos is dedicated to preparedness, and I explain the theology behind it. But the short answer is Proverbs 22.3, which is repeated in Proverbs 20.17 verbatim, a prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, or sees trouble coming is the idea there, evil not in a moral sense, but difficulty, and hides himself. So we, we want to prepare. We want to see it coming. We certainly do see it coming. That's what we talk about every week on World Events Update. But we also uh, want to prepare for it. So I think it, it, it the people's focus, and correct me if I'm wrong or if you have a different opinion, really when we think about EMPs should be less on protecting their precious electronics uh, and more about, uh, you know, protecting their lives and their, and their family. I mean, you know, if money were no object, uh, theoretically, you could build a massive Faraday cage around your entire house. 
Okay, fantastic. The EMP yeah. happens, you wait a day, and you walk outside the door of your Faraday cage, and you've got nothing but devastation around there. So good for you. You've managed to save your electronics, but to what end? I think it's much bigger than that. Am I wrong? No, I agree. Basically, you have exterior items and interior items. The exterior, if the grid goes down, the grid's destroyed, <clears throat> you know, stores, gasoline stations, after the power is gone. So you better know how to siphon gas if your vehicle is still running. I look at it like this. You're going to go from the luxuries we have now to being Amish overnight. They live without electricity. They know how to store and make their foods as they used to. And we'll, we'll go over a bunch of that, but there are a few things that I want to discuss because you need to start getting these items now and feel free to add in here because you're the one that created the list that I've never seen before that had basically everything. Remember an EMP, whether it's military, solar, electrical, insurrection, whatever is a life changer. Do not expect your life to ever go back to the way it was. It's not going to happen. So let's talk about some of the items that you're going to need to have. You're going to have to have cash or whatever the um, type of currency is that you're going to be using. You're going to have to have water. You have to have food. You have to have shelter. You're going to need uh, your medications. You're going to need all of this stuff, but what fire extinguishers? I mean, I want to go through these a little bit more item by item because there are things to stay away from. But what you have to do is you have to sit down and you have to decide what are the basics of life that I've got to have, that I need to have. How do I get them? How do I store them? Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And and just to let people know, the preparedness guide that we have mentioned a few times already, it begins with some potential scenarios. And then it it, it talks about three different uh, responses, uh, depending on the scenario, Uh, plan A, plan B, and plan C. Plan A is hunker down, in other words, stay put, which is mostly what we're talking about today uh, with an EMP. Plan B is head out because there's some crisis that's resulting in a danger to your life or your home. The area that you're in is not safe. And then plan C is the worst, and that's a hole up. In other words, not only are you not safe, but people are hunting you, and if they find you, they will kill you. So you need to you know, find a place to, to hide out or hole up somewhere. Um, and so, but back to your point, Randy, we list on here all types of things that, you know, supplies, books, I mean, uh, yeah, books, food, uh, you know, filtration systems that you uh, can and should have uh, to to be able to, you know, hunker down for, for quite some time. Yes, and everybody needs to remember that an EMP is not the same as a nuclear attack. You're not going to have radiation that's going to last. You're not going to have fallout. But one of the comments that one of my experts made was this. Uh, Damage is due to the trapped electrons in the atmosphere. Okay. The damage is by line of sight. So a facility deep in a canyon might not be affected, but the facility probably won't have much technology. It would affect it somewhat. So the higher it's detonated, the bigger area and the lower areas that will be affected by an EMP if it's an adversarial attack. If it's by the power grid and they take the power grid out, everybody's affected. So that's why it makes a difference how the damage is going to occur. Now, I know that the military has certain plans for their their people and stuff. Hospitals, fire departments, they all back up generators. But after that, there's nothing left to do. So as you're sitting down and you're starting to think about the necessities in life that you're going to have to have, you're going to have to think about yourself. About your friends, adversaries, pets. A lot of people forget their pets, but they require certain things too. What kind of a, you know, if, do you live in town? Do you live in the country? Are you rural? It all makes a big difference in how you have to think about this. But you have to think about going back. We used to watch the Westerns. We saw how they lived. 
understand that's where you're going to be at. We're not yeah, going to have the, the goodies. Yeah, you said it. It's the bare necessities, you know, and you you mentioned them. One that I would add. So you said food, water, uh, shelter, um, and uh, protection is one that I would add. So now when yes. we say protection, we mean what about bad people that are going to take advantage of the situation and try to hurt you or steal your belongings? You need to be able to protect yourself against that. Now, I realize that a lot of people are are not familiar with guns. They don't own guns. They've never had a gun. They are not good with guns. Don't run out and buy a gun if you've never had one without being trained in it. And I know, Randy, you're a big advocate of that. I mean, guns uh, are serious things and you need to know how to use them. And so if you're going to have a weapon, make sure you get trained in the proper use of it um, so that, you know, if you'd had to, you could uh, you could use it. Now, I grew up around guns, grew up hunting. And and so we're, you know, we're certainly comfortable there. And, you know, if you if worst case scenario happens and you have to protect your family, you know, be prepared to do so. You know, you flinch and it could cost you and your family, you know, their lives. So uh, it's a pretty serious thing to consider, but self-defense is biblical. It goes to the sanctity of life. God loves life, and he created man in his image, and we ought to protect our own lives and the lives of those we love, uh, come what may, uh, and recognize we have a real enemy out there who's wanting to kill people, and his human agents are certainly killers. We We know that. So, I think you need to think big picture, and and you painted a good picture with the with the, the frontier days, you know, in the pioneer days, you know, they set up camp, and then they their day revolved around providing for food for that evening, and you know, tending to the crops and building things, and they didn't they didn't have a lot of distractions. Their entire focus was on self survival. And we've become so distracted now that our focus is on anything but we've just we're we're lazy, presumptuous. We think we can run to Walmart anytime we want. Just last night, drive, uh, uh, I was driving and got a call. Someone said, "Hey, we need you know dog food." So I pulled into uh, you know the store and picked up some dog food. Well, what if you can't do that? What if you're confined to your property? for months on end. Could you survive? And it's not as difficult as people think. And that's why, you know, there are so many good resources. One of the sections on our preparedness guide is books. We've mentioned one or two already, but we have a list there of books. In fact, the one I mentioned is not even on our preparedness guide because I came upon it after we'd already put that out. We need to update it and add it. But again, the Handbook to Practical Disaster Preparedness for the Family by uh, uh, Arthur T. Bradley, um, but you know, it's not that difficult to, to th- look through the list of food that we have on the guide there and, and pick up a few of those things. Uh, think about water. Um, as Randy said, it, your, your municipal water supply are not going to work. You know, if you live out in the country, your well's not going to work if there's an EMP, if you don't have power. So do you have a Creek? Do you have a spring? Do you have a pond or lake, something within walking distance that you can bring buckets and bring back and then, uh, you know, uh, uh, ration it and and filter it, of course, uh, with a Berkey or something like that. So do you have water? Do you have food? Do you have shelter? If you have a house, you know, you're going to have a shelter. What if you have to flee? We haven't talked about that scenario. We'll save that for another day. But all everything we're talking about is is localized to staying put. But if you have to flee, do you have a tent? You know, that's part of our preparedness stash, a big family tent. If we had to flee on foot, could we find a place in the mountains or in the woods or somewhere uh, where we could get shelter? Because you're going to want to be out of the rain, out of the cold, uh, those types of things. Uh, so, I mean, lots to think through. But any other uh, items on your list, Randy? Oh, there's <clears throat> there's enough here for days. But remember that you're going to spend 80% of your time trying to survive. That is trying to cook, trying to provide food, trying to provide shelter, trying to stay cool, trying to stay warm, uh, working against adversaries, protecting yourself. No longer are you going to spend the evening drinking a beer, watching your TV shows. You're going to be preparing for the next day. And as we get into this in the future weeks, I'm going to show you how tough it's going to be. But here's a comment one of my experts made. And I want you to pay close attention to this because this is important. 
if an AMP hits the United States, it is game over for the country. When Katrina hit New Orleans, the aftermath of gangs and marauders up both the street and in the stadiums were sickening. Anybody in our country under 30 years old will most likely be gone in less than six months. Mm -hmm. The country pulled together after 9-11, after Katrina, etc. They will do that for a few days. Their attention span is much that of a gnat. After that time, it's all for all for me, all for myself. Um, you know, the, the country's rotted from the inside out. I mean, let's face it. I mean, can you walk two miles to get water? Can you walk up a mountain slope to retrieve the deer you just shot? Are we in are we in physical shape that we could do it? Is our mental attitude in a place where we could suffer? We have been, we've had it so easy for so long. The survival instinct that man was given, I believe, is departed. One thing I tell everybody, in a nuclear attack, in an EMP attack, whatever, have a Bible there that mm -hmm. you can read. And hopefully start reading it before. God is not just there for 911. He's there for every day. Yeah. But also remember, EMPs, nuclear attacks, or whatever, I am still of the mindset that we are providing not only for ourselves, but we could be providing for the people left after we're gone. Could be your kids that are not safe, could be your neighbors, could, uh, who knows? So think about you, what you're going to need, but think long-term, think outside of the box. Yeah, we we list printed books and survival manuals. The number one uh, thing in that section on our preparedness guide is in, in our case, we have the Ryrie Study Bible uh, because that was just an extra copy that I had. So we've stashed it in there. But you need a Bible. No question about it. You need a Bible uh, to have in there. But boy, that's a, what you just said is, if I can uh, kind of emphasize that again, is so profound. And that is that we are ill prepared for it. You, you started out the program by talking about uh, do a test run, you know, wake up one day and see how well you could survive for just one day without all of the modern conveniences that you're used to. Can you do it? Do a dry run. Uh, I'm not convinced I could do it, honestly. And I've been studying this stuff for 20 years and spoken about it at different preparedness conferences and expos and tea party groups and you name it, and radio programs. I did a whole series of radio programs back when I was doing live broadcast radio. Uh, and, you know, uh, I, I'm not convinced I could do it, honestly. You know, um, I just... Uh, I'm I'm very uh, efficient and very uh, you know I'm a workaholic so I'm constantly working and trying to get maximum output uh, through our ministry. Um, it's uh, just me and my family that run this ministry, and so um, I've learned to do things uh, uh, to do a lot in a little amount of time. But in order to make that happen, I have to rely on technology and I have to rely on modern conveniences. What if I didn't have any of that? It would take it would be a shock to my system and it would take a while to kind of get recalibrated and figure out how to do it. I mean, you mentioned, you know, going to pick up the deer that you shot. Uh, it's been a long time since I've been hunting, but I remember very vividly that experience. I've killed dozens of deer, bucks, the doe alike, and all kinds of other game as well. And it's not easy. I remember one time killing a turkey that I, it took me two hours to find that thing. And I knew right where it was. I had spotted it in my scope. I knew right where it landed. I had some markers, a, a barbed wire fence, and I knew where it was. And I walked and it wasn't there. And I looked and looked and looked, and it was exhausting. And I'm carrying this equipment. Finally found that, that uh, bird. But I tell you, uh, just that mental picture to me of, uh, you know, of the effort that it takes to survive, uh, it's mostly going to be a mental, an exercise in mental strength, not just physical strength. You know, they say where there's a will, there's a way. And I think for most people, if they've thought through these scenarios ahead of time, they'll find a way. By the way, speaking of hunting for food, I might throw in here, uh, traditional hunting rifles are fine in the scenarios that we're talking about, where you're just kind of, um, you know, uh, hunkering down and, and not able to leave for a while just because of chaos. But in a situation where you're trying to hide out, uh, you want to consider having a, a bow and arrow, some type of a crossbow or something that's silent, because if the marauding um, um, mobs and, and the enemies and whoever it is that's trying to hunt you down hears 
the gunshot, they will know where you are and you're going to need to kill that deer to eat. So you need to find a way to kill that deer um, without um, exposing yourself. And the best way to do that is through uh, a crossbow that's silent. So just some food for thought. Anything else, Randy? Well, to get you in the proper frame of mind for the next podcast, where we go into a lot more depth on this, I would challenge you, don't eat out for a week. Walk everywhere you can. See if you can walk a mile or two miles. Take a cold shower in the morning. Reduce your meals to one a day. Then you're going to get kind of an idea what this is like. Try your air conditioner off for an hour or two. See how you survive. Uh, wear your dirty clothes for a couple of days. Start thinking about how they did it in the Old West. One bath a month, one shower a month. Reduce food, reduced intake. You will notice in a hurry that your body's not used to it. Now, you can whip it into shape, but I think we better start now because I don't think we have much time before we have to. Yeah, great advice. And it's not just about mental preparedness. Going through these exercises also helps from a very practical standpoint because you, you, you recognize things that you didn't think about before. So if I go without electricity for a day or my organism for a day, it's going to bring up other things that I hadn't thought of that I can then write down and be prepared for to think about if I really have to do in a, in a real life scenario. So great material. I know we talked about a lot. Hopefully it was helpful to our listeners. Uh, we will continue again uh, next Saturday with another uh, in this limited series on how to uh, prepare. You and I will talk offline about what topic we want to tackle next. There's no shortage of them. But Randy, thanks so much for being with us today. And to My the rest pleasure. of you, don't forget, tomorrow we've got a uh, live stream from Plum Creek Chapel in Sedalia. If you ever find yourself in the Denver metro area, come out and see us. We're in the Castle Rock suburb uh, just south of Denver in a little town called Sedalia. Uh, you, we, we live stream the 10 o'clock message. Uh, usually the live stream kicks on about 1020. Uh, but we also, of course, record the message and both in audio and the video form. And you can always check out our past messages at notbyworks.org. But we'd love to see you face-to-face -to -face tomorrow. Otherwise, we'll see you by live stream and then another great week next week uh, with some helpful uh, information. As always, we want to remind you that Jesus Christ died and rose again to pay your personal penalty for sins, and only He can forgive sin and give you the free gift of eternal life. Have you trusted in Him today? For those of you that already know the Lord, continue to walk by faith. Never be scared, but always be prepared. God has not given us a spirit of fear, uh, but He has told us uh, to be prepared. The fear of the Lord prolongs days. The hope of the righteous will be gladness. The way of the Lord is strength for the upright. These are promises and reminders in uh, the book of Proverbs chapter 10. So God bless you, everyone. Have a great rest of the weekend, and we will see you again uh, next week.